0: The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Thank you, and I love hearing those friendly and warm welcomes. I encourage you to do that after the service as well. And uh, so great to meet some new people here uh, today. We're going to take a, a few minutes before we get into our sermon to highlight our, our Reach Sunday, which really is uh, a time to... Uh, celebrate what God's doing in the life of our church. And, and as I think of that, um, one great way to do that is we want to celebrate our newest member of Holy Cross. That's Isaiah McIntyre, five days old, uh, born to Elizabeth and Ryan. I right, praise God for uh, that you guys are doing well, and and for the birth of of your son, so congratulations. So yeah, so today is is Reach Sunday. What is Reach Sunday? You know, we've we've announced this for the last handful of weeks. We've talked about it actually for months, but but really wanted to shine a light on this. If you're new with us, Reach Sunday is really uh, an opportunity for us to shine a light on our Reach initiative. You're, you still don't know what it is. Uh, our Reach initiative is uh, is an initiative that uh, in order to raise necessary funds uh, to uh, for for a new church home for Holy Cross create a lasting presence in our community and and we want to uh, pick a couple times throughout the year where we spend a Sunday just sharing a couple minutes on highlighting our vision Uh, sharing an update on this campaign, um, offering time of prayer, and um, and, an opportunity for how to engage in this initiative. And hopefully over time, we as a church, we we, we become familiar with um, this vision, this initiative, the terms. We get excited about it. We embrace it um, as that ball continues to roll. And so we're investing in this for for what we're prepared to be a long time, but we're, we're hopeful and excited for what God might do through it. Uh, we want to share this morning uh, briefly um, what the vision is, uh, what our update is, an opportunity to give, and then we'll, um, we'll have a couple of us will pray for that, and then we'll continue our worship uh, in God's Word. So let's highlight first the vision. We had these cards that are out on, the, on your chairs, every other chair. If one's not on your chair, maybe it's on the one next to you. Uh, just going to spend a, a moment on this and highlighting nothing new, but everything that we see here. You know, let's highlight the, the vision of REACH. We want to pursue a long-term presence in our community through a new church home. And so reach, when we think of reach, you think about this, this action. It's a uh, Reach is the movement of God's uh, grace and the movement of the gospel in our lives and in the church to bring about new life. Um, everything we do and everything we pursue as a church really starts here. And you might think, well, what does that have to do uh, with a, a new building? Well, everything that we are excited to do as a church is focused on what God has already done with us. So everything that, that we're excited to do, we think about first what God has done with us. Well He's pursued us. He has initiated with us. We see that God is on the move in our heart. and this produces joy, produces conviction of sin, it produces a passion for mission, ministry and mission. And, and so we're excited for God's reach in our life through the movement of the gospel. The second thing is REACH is about our movement with others. You know, when we see the movement of God's grace and love and joy in our hearts, it can't help but have a natural overflow outward. And through acts of compassion and mercy and justice and love, we want to take this gospel that has changed our life individually and as churches, and we want to share with others. So we want to have as as much opportunity as possible to, to spread the gospel and connect the gospel to people to families, to neighborhoods, to schools, for generations to come, and lastly, it reaches about our willingness to go beyond our own fellowship, and embrace Jesus' command to be a faithful witness in the world. And so, you know, some people might come and say, "What, what, what made you find Holy Cross?" Um, and they say, "Well, we really love the idea about just a small, tight-knit community of Christians." And we think, "Well, that's that's a that's admirable and honorable, but..." We don't want to stay that way, uh, not simply just about numbers or getting bigger, but we want to open up our doors. We want to look beyond our own fellowship, and we want to embrace Jesus' command to, to live a life uh, on mission and faithful witness. And so we desire not to simply have a group of Christians that gather together for worship, but we desire to go into our community with the gospel as Christ has initiated with us. And, and the REACH initiative is really is to accomplish that. Um, and we're excited about that. Let me give you an update. One, there is no update. This is our first REACH Sunday. And in fact, I was prepared, I was prepared to, to, uh, to say there is, no, there is no update. But excitingly, uh, we actually did see a, a gift come in for $1,000 for our REACH initiative. And so we're excited about that, even before I even talked about it. And so we see that God is working in people's hearts. We're excited about that. So not much of an update. But for our first one, let me, let me update you on this. Um, it's been a blessing to be in this space. We've been in here seven years. Um, we have never once had to uh, set up chairs, uh, you know, in a school or things like that. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna share a number with you in terms of update. Um, a powerful number to consider, and here's the number. $500,000, half a million dollars. Powerful number, right? And you're thinking, what is that? Is that the amount, that, like our goal, that, which we're reaching? No, that's how much we have spent already in rent in seven years. And you're thinking, well, can't that be better used? Like, actually, can we go into school? Great. Yes, we can. Will you head up our chair setup committee? Would you do that? (laughs) And so we see that, you know, we have this space. We're grateful for it. Seven years we've been here. It's cost us $500,000. It's a huge number, but it's also happened slowly over several months and several years. And so we see through that that investment, that number gets very big. And we are committed to continuing in an investment and building for the future and, and for generations to come. It is a powerful number, but it's allowed us to do some really wonderful things. Um, even though it's a storefront, it's connected to Domino's, uh, it's conveniently connected, uh, you know, next to CVS, all your needs are right here. But, but you walk, you know, something that's nice about that, that investment, you walk into the church and it feels like Holy Cross. I mean, this is our church. Right, it's uh, we we do rent it, but it feels like ours. We've been able to do uh, what we want in here. We've been able to have it twenty four seven. We've been able to host uh, community and gospel training and worship. We've been able to add a service. We've been able to build um, a really great relationship with Lehman Academy across the across the um, the street, where uh, they use our church every month for different retreats, and they bring students over uh, free of charge. We've been We've been grateful to be able to build relationship with people in our community, and we're excited about that. We, we want to do so much more um, and, and, and many more opportunities to have this with a permanent church home that has a, a lasting presence in our community, allowing us to, to open our doors, to broaden uh, our, um, our, our border in our church. Um, and so that's, that's an update. Uh, and and as, we, as we continue and reach Sundays, hopefully we'll have more updates, things to celebrate How God is is, uh, working in our church and how people are investing in this financially, how people are serving, how um, opportunities are coming our way for this. Uh, so let me talk about um, REACH and an opportunity t- for you to uh, engage in this. Obviously, financially, uh, we've encouraged you to, to give above and beyond your normal giving uh, towards the REACH initiative, specifically on um, REACH Campaign Day, or on, reach, on REACH Sundays. It doesn't have to be that. Uh, it could be any time. Um, Giving is not only just financially, Uh, maybe you are aware of opportunities, Uh, maybe you are aware of land opportunities, or maybe you're like, why didn't anybody ask? I've got a 10,000 square foot church right across the street. Hey, great, now you know we need one, okay? Uh, So we don't know know who you are, Uh, we don't know what opportunities you have, we don't know how God has gifted you and positioned you in your life, we don't know who you know. Um, and we want you to pray with us. So that's, that's another way that you can engage and reach with us and invest in this is, is to pray for God to open up opportunities. Um, we're investing in the long term. We know it can take some time, um, but we, uh, we're ex- eager and excited to see what God will do. He exceeds our expectations whenever we trust in him. Uh, this isn't the hardest thing we've had to do as a church or trust God with. And uh, God has been faithful to us. And so we're excited uh, maybe you have resources, maybe you have time, um, not just in this initiative, but be a part of our church. Uh, don't wait until uh, we need your help um, or, uh, to, to give it. You know, don't wait until we need to ask for it in order to give it. And so, when if, let's say we get into a place and God provides all of our needs for the REACH initiative. We start our building campaign, we get in a building, we need, we need more help. Don't wait until that time comes. Uh, serve on a team. Uh, there's a green connect card out there in the welcome area specifically uh, for people looking to serve on a team and volunteer in so many different areas of ministries. Um, get into a, a, a life group. These are our small group communities that meet throughout the, our community every week. We, we eat together and we engage in God's word together. Um, be a part of our community because it's a community that is on the move to, uh, be, to, to be faithful witness in our community. Um, so do that now in a healthy way. Uh, so that's our vision. Uh, that's our, our brief yet very exciting update. Um, and that's, our, um, and that's our, our opportunity for you to give. Uh, here are a couple ways that you can give if you're looking to give towards our REACH can- initiative now or, or anytime. And the next slide shows a couple of those. Um, Anytime at holycrossgive.com, our normal way of giving, if you've ever given online, we thank you for that. Many do. About 70% of our monthly giving comes through online. Uh, which is huge. Um, a drop-down uh, tab has been created for the REACH initiative, and that will be earmarked for uh, um, funds for our building fund. The next is you can text the dollar amount to 84321, um, which is really exciting. You can do that right now. And uh, any dollar amount, and then follow the prompts on how to give to the REACH um, initiative by check. Just make sure you write REACH in the memo line. Um, Cash, we have envelopes in the off, by the offering box, and you could choose the building fund. So these are just some ways for you to be intentional to, um, to, to invest in the REACH initiative. Any other giving, of course, will go to our general, our general fund. Um, that is not earmarked for the REACH initi- initiative. So thank you. Um, we're really excited. Uh, we, we, it's a long time coming. Um, seven years, we've already given $500,000 to our building in a sense, but we don't, we, all we have for it is you know, this T-shirt, kind of, so, to, so to say. You know. Okay, $500,000, but we're grateful for it. What can God do over the next seven years? What will we do over the next three years? Uh, we're excited to see as we cast that vision for you. Thank you for investing in the life of Holy Cross and the mission of God. We're thankful for you. Um, I've asked, uh, uh, we're going we're to take our offering now. Uh, you can give your normal giving. We give not just as an act of worship, but an act of love for God as people in the ministry of the church. Uh, you can give uh, towards the reach if you've brought that gift. If you've brought your regular gift, you can give that as well in the offering bag as it's passed. Uh, let's now uh, take our offering. Let's follow along. Uh, this is God's word. As we come to his word, we are reminded that we are to approach it knowing that as we read from his scripture, we're hearing from God. And so we read it and hear it with awe and reverence. Chapter 2, starting in verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is God's word. Uh, Something is happening in this passage that we really don't see a lot. And I don't mean we don't see it in Scripture. We actually see it quite a bit in Scripture. I mean that we don't see it really anywhere in the world, not too often anyway. What we see here is Paul giving his heart away. And it's something we don't see a lot. We don't see a lot of people giving their heart away. And I mean truly giving their heart away to another person. Bearing their soul. Becoming vulnerable to the point of of just giving all of their life to another person. At least we don't see it much more than once. Right? Because have you ever made that promise before to never again give your heart away? You fall For someone, you put everything on the line for an opportunity, maybe. You try out for a role, a job, uh, for a sports team in high school, maybe. And you get crushed and you say, never again will I ever feel that way again because I tried or I gave my heart away to that person. Never again will I be that vulnerable. Never again will I be that courageous. Never again. But after time, time goes on and you desire community as you're created to give your heart away and to share your life with another person and with other people but you're hesitant you're fearful and so you kind of test it out and maybe you don't give your heart away completely even though you start to give away a little bit more fear of giving away our heart to another person might keep us from really giving ourselves into a romantic relationship But also for many other relationships, it keeps us from sharing our life and friendship and community with others, from really sharing what's going on in our life. When people really ask, how are you? We just don't know how to answer it, and so we say, good, or fine. And maybe even if we're in a context where people are really drawing out a little bit more, we just cannot bring ourselves to truly sharing what's really going on in our heart because we're afraid. Because if people saw who we really were like, what we were really like, what would they think of us? They would think that we're a loser, that we're a failure, that we're nobody, that we're a person who isn't mature enough to figure it out on our own. So are we just failing at life if we're really struggling through it? So we keep to ourselves and we keep our heart kind of locked up and we don't give it away. Well, we see here something that doesn't happen too often in relationships. Give our heart completely away. Well, what, what does that mean to give your heart away? Here, here's a definition. It means to personally invest in a person to the point where your joy is bound up in that person. That's what it looks like and means to give your heart away. That means as they move, you move. As they hurt, you hurt. As they celebrate, you celebrate. As they struggle, you struggle. Your joy is bound up in how they are doing. That was what it looks like to give your heart away. Is there anyone like that in your life? Have you truly given your heart away to someone? Or is it like, well, if you're hurting, I'm going to wait for you to get better. You need to figure that out on your own. And when you're better, then we can... You know, continue to have a functioning, healthy relationship. You haven't given your heart away to that person. This is how Paul relates to these Christians, and, but not just these Christians that he writes to. This is how Paul relates to, to every church and Christian that, he, that is a recipient of the good news that he proclaims to them. Let me show you, often when we're studying the Bible, this is just for helpful Bible study for you. If you're wanting to know maybe the focus or the author's intent and, and kind of climax of a passage, a good place to go is wherever you see dialogue or wherever you see questions that are asked at least that's the tool that i use it proves to be really helpful and that's true in our case here paul asks a question and it's a rhetorical question but he asks the question in verse 19 of chapter 2 and here's the start of the question in verse 19 he says for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the lord when Je- the lord jesus at his coming Now just stop right there before you go on. Don't look at your Bible if you have it open. Don't read the rest of the verse. Seems like the answer should be Jesus, right? What's our hope in life? What's our joy? What matters more than anything? When Jesus comes back, what is going to be the number one focus in our life? Seems like the answer should be Jesus. But then the surprise. In chapter the rest of 19 and 20, he then asks, is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. It's astonishing and unnatural to talk about another person in this way. When Jesus comes back, you know what is going to make me feel? That I lived a life well lived? Isn't it it your joy in the gospel? I've given my life for you. I've given my heart away for you. So if you have joy in the gospel, then I'm going to be happy when Jesus comes back. Paul's, this is Paul's way of expressing to them his unwavering investment of joy in their well-being to the point of, of his joy being bound up completely in them. So strange, so unnatural to see a relationship like this today. And this whole section describes the way that, that we all, all who follow Jesus, are called to love one another in a life in our personal lives with others, but also in life of a church as Christians and to demonstrate the love of Christ into a lost and dying world. That's what this whole section really sums up. And it calls us to give our hearts away in a dramatic way. But not just to give our hearts away, it calls us to give our hearts away without losing our minds. How do we do that? How do we give our heart away to another person without losing our minds? How do we give our, our heart away To others in Christian love without losing our minds. This passage is really best to understand. We answer that question by looking at Paul, uh, by looking at his affection for the people, and then wondering what is it that made Paul, enabled Paul, empowered Paul to give his heart away without losing his head. Paul was able to give his heart away without losing his mind. And we'll be able to do the same if we have given ourselves to three commitments A commitment to keeping the word of God, a commitment to sacrificing for the people of God, and a commitment to seeing our present calling in light of our future glory. We see these unfolding in this passage. Let's go to the first. A commitment to keeping the word of God. We really went into depth uh, on this last week, so you can go back and listen to that sermon if you missed it, but it shows up again here in the next section. Paul planted a church and was encouraged that God was working among them. He was forced to flee from that church and relationships that he had formed because of severe persecution, and it's tearing him apart that he can't be with them. And so he sends Timothy, and he sends Timothy to bring a report, to bring encouragement to them, instruction. And he sends Timothy with something, with with some assets. He sends Timothy with some things to bring to them. And it probably sends Timothy with many things, right? Letters, snacks, Uh, clothes, postcards from Athens. We don't know what he sent Timothy with. Really, what we're only told he's sent with is really the most important thing. The most important thing that Timothy brings is he brings the gospel. He brings the word of God. He comes bearing the good news of Jesus, committed in all things in their relationship primarily to being faithful to the word of God, I'd like to think that Timothy went bearing many other things, supplies, encouragement, letters. Um, But Paul only tells us that he brought one thing, most importantly. He's coming, and he's coming to bring the Word of God to you. Our number one commitment in our relationships with others must be our commitment to be faithful to Jesus. Now, of course, we're going to be friends and have connection with people who are not Christians. This is not in opposition to that. We'll be friends with people who don't know Jesus, who are not committed to the word of God. But elsewhere, Paul says that we are to love all people, but especially the family of God. We are to invest in all people, but we are to invest specifically and uniquely with those who share a commitment to the word of God within the family of God. We are, to give our, we are to love others, but we are to give our heart away completely with those we have a shared commitment with to the Word of God. Every authentic Christian begins here with a conviction that we've been called to handle the Word of God in a faithful way. Our task is to keep God's Word, to sing God's Word, to study it, to reflect on it, to proclaim it, to apply it to all area of our lives. Do you want a meaningful relationship with others? Do you want to give your heart away? Do you want to grow in the area of being a good friend? It starts here. Not with really your love or or unique similarities to that person, but primarily your commitment to God's word because that will free you up to actually give your life away, to love the person as we're called to love. This was Paul's commitment to keep the word of God. Next, we see a commitment to sacrificing for the people of God. Do you want to give your heart away in a way that God has called us to, to love his people? God's designed the church to demonstrate our unity in Christ in a special way with other believers. Through how we sacrifice our comfort, joy, time, energy, and possessions with others, for others. You see, we are, we are, we are to be more like a bunch of grapes than like a bunch of marbles in a bag. Using this analogy, let me, let me explain this. A bag of marbles, right? It's a bag of marbles, a bunch of different marbles inside, different shapes, different sizes. Well, really all one shape, right? They're all round. Uh, different, different sizes, different colors and textures. Well, they're all smooth. But anyway, but they're not connected to each other. They're really just, the only thing they have in common is they're just the proximity. And so they maybe bounce up against one another. They interact with one another, but really they're still separate. They're not connected to any life together. And then there's the cluster of grapes, Again, different, different individual grapes all tied together in the life that get, nourishes them. They give life to one another through the vine. They receive life from the vine. They are separate, but they are together more than just proximity. They're gaining life from each other and from the power of Christ. And so God has designed his church to demonstrate their love for Jesus through their mutual sharing And mutual giving to one another. This giving and receiving. This continual sharing and sacrificing for one another. In order to demonstrate this love, Paul did something that was to him a profound sacrifice. We might not see it at first glance. But for Paul, if we look at it a little bit more fully, we see it was a profound sacrifice. He gave what he had and what he had was Timothy. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, when when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left alone in Athens. Think about this. Athens, probably the most pagan uh, and hostile city to Christianity, and being alone was the last thing you wanted to do in a place like that. He was forced to flee to Athens, and Paul seemed to be asking the questions, what can I do in my absence to show them that I love them? What can I do in my absence to show them I deeply care? What can I do to show them that I will never abandon them, that I'm with them in heart even though not in physical presence? And Paul looked around at what he had. He looked at his ministry resources and he chose to give away the greatest earthly blessing, his own co-worker and son in the faith, Timothy. And he sent him away to them while he was left alone. We do not often think like this in our lives because it is our tendency to hold on to the things that bring us comfort rather than give them away. If we look around and we see the things in our life that bring us joy, comfort, security, stability... We're going to be holding tight to those things, whether it's a person, whether it's money, whether it's our privilege, whether it is our reputation, whether it's our job. We are going to keep a tight hold on that. Paul looks around and the most important thing he gives away. The opposite of the commitment to sacrificing for the people of God is a sin of possessiveness the sin of possessiveness. We live in a world that tells us to think about our own needs and our own comfort, especially when in moments of crisis. If things are really hard, that's the time you need to think about yourself the most. We hold on to the things and people that bring us joy without considering what that would do for someone else, what those resources can do for somebody else. Arranging situations in our life to maximize our own joy is the opposite of gospel thinking. I just want to keep that statement up there on the screen for a moment and let let it create some low-grade tension in your heart. Arranging our life and situations in our life that maximize our own joy is the opposite of gospel thinking. It makes me wonder how often we give in to the sin of possessiveness. Paul said, we suffered for you. We were afflicted for you. We suffer now without you. And we embrace, we embrace this affliction for God has called us into this affliction. Because the affliction is the very nature of what it means to live a gospel-centered life. We sacrifice, we give up comfort and joy for the sake of expressing gospel love to each other. Paul expressed it in a radical way to the church in Corinth, the most corrupt church that we read in scripture, the Corinthian church that he ever ministered to. It was a really bad church, horrible sins. And he said something that I'm willing to guess not a single one of you would be willing to say for another human being. And Paul says, I would give up my very salvation if it meant a single one of you would be saved. What? He says again, he says, I would be willing to give up my very life. Strike me dead right now if I could be given the certainty that you would be saved through that work. I'll do it right now. Crazy. Paul understood this, that the gospel way of thinking is, is giving up your heart and life for the benefit of others. It's too easy to become jealous in times of crisis where when we don't have what others have, when we're not comfortable. It's easy to become jealous and envious and prideful. But those sins are like, they're not just, they're not just the great sins, right? Right? Why well, do I need to be less selfish or less envious or less jealous or less prideful? Of Sure, of course you do, but really there's a deeper root of all of those sins. Those aren't the root of it, but rather the fruit of a greater sin. The greater sin is that we're too often obsessed with our own joy, our comfort. How can I arrange my life around a life that is pleasing to me? From that flows pride. Selfishness, envy, jealousy, a lack or loss of contentment in our life. I invite you not to g- neglect the significance of, of this issue. Many marriages are destroyed by possessiveness and lack of sacrifice for another. Many children have become emotionally wounded chronically over years and years because of the possessiveness of a parent and manipulation of a parent who are not committed to sacrificing their own comfort for the joy and well-being of their children. Many friendships end in bitter conflict as a result of one or both people obsessing over their own side of the story, their own joy, their own comfort, their own perspective. The hurting, the friendless, the, the marginalized, the lonely, they go on being hurt and friendless and marginalized and lonely because we just don't want to be uncomfortable and have to look beyond ourselves. Many of you have a babysitter whose number you won't share with anyone else right? She's really good. No, you can't have her, right? This too is a sin of possessiveness. Fork it over. Share it. You know who you are. I want to shine a light on this verse in chapter three, maybe not the most important verse, but it is my favorite in this section. Chapter three, verse 10. He says, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your face of faith. I find this hilarious. I mean, and it's very helpful. We love you so much. We really want to see you. And to encourage you, of course. That's why we're coming. But we also need to fix everything that's wrong with you as well. I mean, only a true friend can say this. I mean, notice the whole section is about the expression of love but we have boiled down love in our culture to be an expression of agreement and encouragement and comfort, right? And Paul does not take a break from expressing love to them in this verse. He doesn't take a break in his sermon. He's saying, okay, I've been telling you how I love you, but I'm going to take a break from telling you how I love you, and I'm going to tell you all the things that are wrong with you. Love without truth is cowardly. Truth without love is judgmentalism and humiliation. A judgmental person tells the truth to another person to push that person away. But a loving person tells the truth to draw that person close. Why do you tell the truth to people? You know what? I just need to tell them. I need to get what's off my chest. I need to get them away, and maybe they'll leave me alone. You don't love that person. Love will tell the truth with the hopes of bringing that person closer. This is what Paul wants to do. He keeps telling them, all I want to do is to be with you, and I can't wait to be with you so that I can fill up what is lacking in your faith. John Stott says, truth is hard if it's not softened by love, and love is soft if it is not strengthened by truth. And our culture doesn't tell us, as our culture and society says, if you have a truth that is your truth, don't share that truth with another person if you don't think that they embrace that truth that's unkind. And if you love someone, you will always be on their side, no matter how they live their life. I shouldn't need to tell you that is not a biblical definition of truth. If you struggle with this commitment of, to the word of God, if you struggle with your commitment to sacrificing for the people of God, like we've seen here, maybe you're asking the same question that I've asked. How did Paul live this way over and over and over again as he was afflicted and afflicted and betrayed and left alone and hurt and wounded and didn't see fruit a lot of time in his ministry, how does he do it? I've given my heart away once, and I was hurt, and I will never do it again. How does Paul do it over and over and over again? We see the source of Paul's love in this final commitment, the commitment to seeing our present calling in light of our future glory. Look at verse 13 in chapter 3. Paul says, Now, May our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, direct our way to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. What Paul is saying is that at the coming of Christ, all who have believed and trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ will pass through judgment because they are made blameless and holy. Not based on their character or record, but the flawless righteousness of Jesus. Paul's expression of love was not a matter of just Christian principle. As as if to say, he didn't love them because it was just something you're supposed to do, right? I have to love you because that's the Christian thing to do. That kind of love doesn't lead to joy. It leads to obligation and a sense of duty. It leads to envy and pride and anger, oh, I guess I have to love them because that's what Jesus told me to do. Paul's expression of love wasn't a matter of natural ability either. He even expresses, we know from Scripture, that his natural ability was bent towards jealousy and envy and pride and anger. He didn't want to love anyone, and that's our natural bent as well. Paul's expression of love wasn't a matter of his personality. Like, well, some people are just good at it and some people aren't. He killed Christians, probably, probably the biggest jerk in all of Scripture before he met the grace of God through Jesus Christ. I mean, don't you see that? So it wasn't just because it was a Christian thing to do. It wasn't because he was just his natural form or it was his personality. Paul's expression of love came through his commitment to telling the truth of the Word of God, his commitment to sacrificing for the people of God. It was rooted in the loving sacrifice of Jesus for him. He knew it. The focus of Paul after this long argument on loving others well is on the glory that awaits us. What a strange thing. He's like, let let me wrap it all up for you. Here's why we we love the way God has called us. Here's why we give our heart away. Because God has given his heart away to us. Is loving others difficult for you? Is sharing your heart, being vulnerable, being courageous with your life to love and to sacrifice your own comfort and joy? Is it hard for you to do? Of course it is, right? Most stupid question of the day. Is it hard to love others? Of course it is. And at some point it's difficult for for every one of us and it was difficult for Paul as well. But when he looked to the future and he looked to the coming of Christ to judge the world, the words of Christ must have rang true in his heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He would come to the end of his life and he would see Christ come to judge the living and the dead. And he knew that that he would see the sacrifice of Jesus that was on the cross would bestow upon him future glory. That he would be judged as blameless and judged as holy and judged as perfect. Not because he was holy and perfect and blameless on his own character and merits. But because of the perfect righteousness of Jesus credited to him because of faith. And on that day he would say, I'm not afraid of what God says of me. I'm not afraid of what he thinks of me. He will, he will, he will perfect me. The future holiness awaits us. Our future glory awaits us. And it doesn't mean that we just look heavenward with our eyes and lock our eyes on heaven as if to plead with God, please rescue me from all of these people who are so difficult to love. Get me out of here. Do you think like that? God is so difficult to love people. Life is so hard. This world is so broken Would you come back and take me away so that I can be holy and blameless with you forever? That is not Paul's philosophy. It's not the way we are to live our lives today. The future holiness that awaits us is meant to empower all followers of Jesus to grow in godliness and in sacrificial love in their present life. Do you see that? The sacrifice of Jesus ensures our future glory. And it's meant to have a drastic impact on our present calling. Knowing what awaits us should impact how we live today. And Paul says, I'm free to give my life away. I'm free to sacrifice everything. I'm free to love you with that, with full joy, without any hindrance, without any sense of obligation. I'm able to do that because God has given his heart away to me. See, we can give our heart away. We can love others and sacrifice for others. We can lose for others because God has given us his heart. He sacrificed all for us in giving us Jesus. And he has lost for us by laying down his life on the cross. What awaits us is pure joy. What awaits us is the fullness of joy that has no end. And that is meant to take away the fear of us giving away for others. This is what Christian love looks like. This is what it looks like in love in the Christian community. This is what enables us to give our hearts away without losing our minds. Let's pray.